Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the Apostle Paul. Now, I would remind you, brethren, in what terms I preach to you the gospel, which you received and which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold it fast until you believe, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them through, though I was not, though it was not I, but the grace of God which was at work within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Now if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how can, can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are, of all men, most to be pitied. In other words, if it's not true, if the resurrection is false, if it isn't true, all of this is vain. Then, Perhaps we did simply emerge from the primordial slime. Maybe it isn't the case that we were created in an act of love, redeemed in an act of love. If there is no resurrection, then none of this matters. Then we can live our lives just serving ourselves. Nothing matters. If there's no resurrection, there is no morality. If there's no resurrection, nothing stands. Then it's just this brief cosmic accident that we should emerge and, and have this crazy notion that we love life and we want to keep on living. If there is no resurrection, then there is no meaning, no purpose, other than what we give it, but that's a castle in the air. There's no ground to it. 
Well, the Apostle Paul says, but of course Christ was reigned, was raised. And we can live into that reality and allow our lives to take on the, the power and the meaning that that, that that gives. And when I was a little boy, Easter was huge in our household because mom loved doing the stuff she did. And so the night before, we were all dying Easter eggs, and, and we would literally die dozens of eggs because mom would have family members and friends, and behind our house in Spokane was this, was this large boulevard, and the dads would go out and hide the eggs. It was about a half-mile stretch of park, and so all of us would go out there with our little Easter baskets, go running up and down and try to find Easter eggs, and it was so fun. And I don't even remember going to church. I'm sure we did because we had to. You know how that was. But um, Easter was just this massively big day for, for us. And it was so fun. But it was also Easter. On one Easter Sunday, that was the most traumatic moment of my life as a little boy. I'll come back to that. It was traumatic for the disciples when they saw Jesus die and they saw the spear enter his body. It was traumatic for them, even if they were watching a half mile away because they were afraid. And they scattered, they ran, they hid, they denied, they did everything they could to try to save their own skins when it was all over. But then, as Paul here recounts, Jesus was raised, and he appeared to them. He appeared to them in the locked upper room where they had celebrated the Passover together. And Jesus was suddenly in their midst. Thomas wasn't there, and so a week later, Jesus comes back when Thomas is there. And he says, take your hand, put your finger into the holes of crucifixion. And here in my, in my side, put your hand into my side. And then they saw Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They didn't recognize him until they were with him and he broke bread. But he appeared to them on that road. And then, then up at Galilee, they saw him as well. And they were out on the boat and Jesus was on the shore and he told them to throw it on the other side of the net and they'll catch some fish. And they did and they caught all these fish and then Peter said, it's the Lord. And they went back to the shore and they, they ate fish together. Paul is calling attention to the reality that, that Jesus wasn't a ghost. He was a real, resurrected, transformed body. This was not just an appearance, an apparent reality of Jesus being there. He was actually there. He appeared to 500 others. They, they saw him. He appeared to them. And then he says, as to one untimely born, like a miscarriage, he says, he appeared to me on the road to Damascus. And so this this is treated in an, in an interesting way in the Greek. 
because the word for appeared is also the word for saw. And so it's one thing for Jesus to appear. It's another thing for them to see. It's not a purely subjective reality. It's not something that we define the reality outside of ourselves. It's not like my truth. It is a truth outside of ourselves, but our blindness can, can block our perception of it. And so there is this coming together where there is the reality of Jesus' appearance and then the, the ability to see through the eyes of faith, not that this is just a resuscitated body, but this is a transformed presence of Christ who has been risen. And Jesus comes and demonstrates to us that this is not at all what anyone expected, not in the, wor not in the Hebrew world, not in the world of the Greeks. So when he writes to this church in Corinth, He's writing to a bunch of people who have adopted sort of a dualistic view of life. And that is to say that, well, this body simply contains a soul. And when we die, the body dies and the soul goes to heaven. It's like one of those old Sylvester cartoons, the, the cat in the old, the old uh, Warner Brothers cartoons where he dies and one ghost after another goes out, and then he grabs by the tail that last one, the ninth life of the cat, and pulls him back in. There's that mentality that, that we are a body that contains a soul. And the Greeks believed that the soul lived on, but the body died. What Paul was preaching, what Paul was teaching, was that the Greeks had it upside down. That we are souls with a body. And what God has sown physical is raised spiritual. And that the resurrected body of Jesus is an, an understanding of what our life will one day be in him. That our lives will be transformed. And that we, like him, will know what it is to be given new bodies, a new life, newness of life, in his kingdom. But the Greeks had this understanding that, well, the body is just junk. It's, it's disposable. And so they had a hard time believing that Jesus could actually take on human flesh. And so one of the earliest heresies was that Jesus wasn't really with us in the flesh. He was just an appearance. And, and the Greeks took on Primarily, well, one of two extremes. One, on the one hand was hedonism. On the other hand was asceticism. Hedonism was, I'm going to use this body to the nth degree, get as much pleasure out of it as I can, and then it gets cast off when it's all over and done with. And asceticism was, this body is worthless anyway, and so I'm going to punish it. I punish it and, and deny it. And, and those two extremes exist with us to this day. We all know what the hedonistic side looks like. 
But I wonder, when, when I hear about people who, because of depression or hardship or difficulty, start cutting themselves, or an act of suicide, that, that somehow our body is to be punished for our sins, and so we do these things against us. And, and so that, that dualism of the Greeks is alive with us today. The apostle preached directly into that dualistic mindset. And he says, no, God created you. He created all of this. He created it and declared it good. This is not disposable, none of it. And so he says, glorify God with your bodies. This, uh, I think it was this past week, it's not like something I watch. I don't watch Screen Actors Guild um, rewards shows or anything like that, but I heard that one of the recipients wore a sweater, and I read a little bit about it, that cost $1,200, $1,200 sweater. Can you imagine? I'm a minister, I wear used shoes. <laughs> $1,200 sweater, and it said, my body, my choice. And I thought, oh, really? <laughs> the Apostle Paul says, point blank, your bodies are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Even says to men and women, Wives, your bodies are not your own. They belong to your husbands. Husbands, your bodies are not your own. They belong to your wives. But somehow, we have this proprietary sense that, that we are, well, that it's all ours to do with it what we want to do. Whether we pleasure it or punish it, it doesn't matter. My body, my choice. The Apostle Paul says to this Greek culture of the first century as, to, as well as to ours today, your bodies are not your own. They are to be used to the glory of God in what way that we can. And so his word was, was dramatic and powerful and new, and the Greeks had such a hard time accepting it. But what he's declaring is that Jesus' body was transformed. It was unlike anything that anyone expected or anticipated. So there were the disciples in the upper room, and suddenly Jesus appears with them. And just as suddenly, he's gone. And yet, he could be touched. Yet he could demonstrate his affection and, and give love to the disciples. And so will our bodies be. So will we be. Because when we think about heaven and earth, when we think about the kingdom of God and, and this life, oftentimes we think that, well, here we are, we're living this life here, and then when we die, we go to some faraway place, <laughs> beyond the bounds of the universe. But maybe, when Jesus says that he is with us, maybe... There is, even in this life, a thin veil that separates us from the kingdom of God.
Maybe God is more present, more immediate than we could ever think. Maybe God's not way out there. Maybe God is here. Maybe God is just so close, sometimes so close that we can't see him. And that is the promise that the apostle makes to the early, the early church, to that church in Corinth, that we are loved, we are souls with a body, and God will transform all of that together because all of it constitutes his good creation, which he loves and for which he died. Therefore, he says, glorify God with your body. What did the disciples do after they first experienced the resurrection? They went joyously careening recklessly into life, declaring this reality. They didn't have all the theology figured out. They just went out and started declaring it. Even in the face of the Roman Empire and in the face of those who were in collaboration with Rome, where they could have lost their skins for it, instead they were still out there proclaiming it and saying, this is incredible news. Jesus Christ, whom you knew as that person from Nazareth, is risen. And it did cost them their lives. Except for the Apostle John. And John, at the end of his life, toward the end of his ministry, as churches would meet, they would bring him in, carry him in on a kind of like a stretcher. And as they brought him in down the center aisle, he would simply look to one side and then the other and say, love one another, love one another, love one another. Transformed life. Life that was full of joy. Well, on that first Easter, not that first Easter, but on that Easter that I had my first traumatic experience as a little boy. I was probably five, something like that, four or five. One of the things mom did, she always brought in a, a gaggle of little chicks. So I had these little chicks roaming around the house. It was so fun. It was all so cute. I have no idea what she did after it was all over. Probably took it out to the farm where she picked them up outside Spokane. And I was in the kitchen with her. I was doing something on the floor. And I remember so well seeing one of those little chicks right in front of the refrigerator. Mom accidentally stepped on it. And I remember it, it shot out from under her foot. And I thought that maybe it was still alive. It wasn't. And I saw death as a little boy. But I also remember mom coming up to me as tears were running down my face. She came and gave me a, a big hug as tears were running down her face. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't see, I didn't mean it, all of that. But she said, somehow, because of Easter, death is conquered. Death 
is no more. She hugged me and kissed me. I didn't know what she meant, but I do remember it. I didn't know what she meant, but she did proclaim it. She passed on that which she had received. When we stand at that place of mystery where we don't understand at all, we don't get it. And let's face it, we see death all the time. All the time. You can't walk outside without seeing dead leaves or drive home without collecting some bugs on your windshield. We see it all the time. But what we don't hear is that death has been conquered. It has lost its power. And because of that, because we might be raised with him in this life as well as in the next, we, like those early disciples, can live joyfully and, yes, recklessly to the glory of God. We bow with me in prayer. And dear Father, there's nothing that we bring. Our hands are empty. But we, we draw upon the, the gift that you have given us in your Son. And we acknowledge, O oh Lord, the living Spirit within us. And we ask that, that we might live our lives fully for you, knowing what it means to live to your glory. We pray this, O oh Lord, even though we don't understand, in Jesus' name. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.